Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. All right, well, join me in welcoming Andrew to the stage. Thanks, Ricky. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. You guys look a little redder than you usually do. Anybody get some sun yesterday? I know I'm gonna, that's my plan all afternoon. And so that's going to great be another great day. We'll take it when we can get it here in Ohio. Um, like Vicky said, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't got a chance to meet yet, if you're visiting or newer, I'd love to meet you after the service. But today I get to kick off a new series that we're doing called So Now What? So Now What? You know, last weekend... You might have celebrated Easter by getting together with family or friends for a meal. Maybe you colored eggs or did Easter egg hunts. Uh, Maybe you stuffed your face with your kids' candy when they weren't looking, hypothetically. and, uh, but, but ultimately, we got together as a church family to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Of course, the actual reason for Easter. And really, if you think about it, if it wasn't for last weekend, we wouldn't be here this weekend or really any other weekend. There'd be no reason for us to gather together if it wasn't for last weekend. Uh, this church building probably wouldn't be here. I'd be out of a job. And uh, we really, probably nobody on earth would identify as a Christian if it wasn't for Easter, because Easter is the proof. Easter is the evidence. Easter is where Jesus, he said, everything that he said about who he was and what he had come to do, was, it, was, it only makes sense. It only makes sense in light of the resurrection. And so last weekend, Easter weekend is the most critical moment really for us as Christians. But now what? Now what do we do, right? Now that Easter's over, what do we do now? Should we just not get together until next Easter and just kind of you know, get up and leave and go enjoy this beautiful day? Well, don't leave yet. You can do that in a little bit later here. But, but God has stuff for us to do. Jesus has stuff for us to do. But what is it? What are we called to do now in light of what we celebrated last weekend? Well, sometimes that can be confusing. Sometimes we, we don't know exactly what that looks like. So What did Jesus tell his earliest followers, the remaining 11 disciples, to do after the resurrection? Because if we look at that, that can give us insight into what we too are invited to do now. You know, there are times or seasons in our lives where we know exactly what we're supposed to do next, right? We know exactly what the next thing is. You know, when you were a kid and it was a day like today in the springtime and, you know, end of April, looking into May, you knew what was coming next, right? Let's say you were finishing up sixth grade. You knew that pretty soon it was going to be summer break, right? And that was going to be full of playing baseball and swimming and hitting golf balls at cars as they drove by. You didn't do that as a sixth grader? I did. Uh, was it the best idea? Um, But then even when summer break came and was kind of wrapping up, you knew what was coming next. It meant seventh grade was coming, right? Going back to school, right? Think about tonight, you know, when tonight rolls around for many of you and you start thinking about Monday, 
you probably know what the next day, Monday, is going to sort of look like, right? You might be getting ready to go to work or getting ready to go to school, or maybe if you hang out with your grandkids on Mondays, whatever your Monday routine is, you probably know, for the most part, what's coming next. But what about what you don't know what the next step is in life? You know, we all have seasons like that as well. You know, graduation is coming up. Do we have any high school graduates in the room right now? Anybody? Yeah, all right, we got one, two, okay. Some of them I know might be a little sleepy. I know Big Walnut had prom last night, so they might be sleeping in today. But I remember, you know, when, when I was that age, when I was your age, when I was getting ready to graduate high school, what's the question that we always ask high school graduates? What's the question? What are you gonna do next year, right? What's your plans for after high school? I remember I hated that question. I hated that question because I sort of had an idea, but I didn't really know for sure. Like I thought I was gonna, you know, we, had, you know, we asked kids, are you going to college? Are you gonna join the military? Are you gonna look for a job? What are you gonna do? And, uh, and even the people, those of us who, who thought we knew what we were gonna do, most of us, we really ended up probably doing something different. Or we, we changed our major five times, you know, or we jumped around from job to job to job for a while, right? We didn't quite know. There aren't, most of us didn't really actually know. There are lots of times in life where we don't really know what's coming next. We don't really know. Maybe that's where you're at right now in a season of life, of transition, where you don't really know what's next. Maybe, maybe your kids are getting older. Maybe you've been a stay-at-home parent for the last 10, 15, 20 years, and they're starting to get a little older, and you're thinking about going back to work, but you're like, well, I've been out of the work game for, for two decades now. I don't even know where to begin. I feel so far behind. Or, or maybe you're about to retire. Maybe you've been working for 40, 45 years in the same field and you're asking and praying and saying, God, what's next for me? What does this look like? I don't know what that is gonna be. Maybe for the last couple of years, you've been caring for a sick loved one. And, that, and, you know, and you've, you've been really taking care of them and with them every day. And maybe they've gotten better or maybe they didn't. Maybe they're now with Jesus. But you're, you're thinking, well, now what do I do? Like, how, what do I do next in life? What's the next thing you have for me? We all go through stages. We all go through seasons of life where we know exactly what we're supposed to do next and then other stages where we don't know what we're supposed to do next. The disciples had just spent three years following Jesus around learning from him, listening to him, watching him, going from town to town as he spoke to people, as he healed people. For three years, they knew exactly what they were gonna do. Each day they were gonna get up and they were gonna do what Jesus told them to do. They were gonna follow him. And then they thought they knew what the next thing was gonna be. They thought that last week, Jesus was gonna come into Jerusalem and they were gonna take back Israel. Right? They thought that he was going to become the king of Israel in an earthly sense and kick the Romans out and take the nation back and restore it back to the golden age of its history. But then they experienced the roller coaster of last week, right? Good Friday. Shockingly, Jesus, in their minds, was arrested, beaten, crucified, killed, and buried. Wait, what? We did not see this coming. So now what do we do? They had no idea. For three days, they had no idea what was going on, right? But then the roller coaster continues. It continues. Three days later, he, wait, he's, what? He's not in the tomb anymore? 
he's alive. He's alive. And now, he's, now we're talking to him. He's right here in front of us. Like he's, he's encouraging us to put our hands in his wounds and in his side, right? He's, we're eating a meal with him. Wait, you're sure you're not a ghost, Jesus? Not a ghost. I'm alive. <laughs> you know, like, wait, what? I don't, we don't know what to do. So wait, so now is the time we're taking back Israel? Now is, now, now's the time. Because they can't even, they tried to kill you and you don't even stay dead. So now, they, what are they going to do now? And then he's like, nope, that's not the plan. That's not what we're going to do. In fact, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go back to heaven and be with my father. Well, what do we do now? Right? Like, how are we, imagine how they must have felt. Imagine how they must have felt. So now what? Right? And, and, in, and the, we're going to talk about the same ideas and the same question really now. In light of what happened at Easter, what does Jesus have for us to do now? You know, now that we're coming off of Easter and compare that to what he invited the disciples to do. In this series, we're going to be mostly looking at the beginning chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at a verse in Matthew. And, and that's going to be kind of our jump off point. So We're going to be at the end of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28. And in the passage we're going to look at today, it's right before they realize that Jesus has come back to life. A few women had gone to the tomb where Jesus was buried and only to find that the stone had been rolled away. And an angel shows up to them and says, he isn't here. He's not here. He's risen. And so they're excited and terrified and confused. All this mixed emotion, they start heading back to tell the disciples when they meet Jesus on the road. And Jesus said to him, he says, I want you to go tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. I'll meet them in Galilee. He gives them their first instruction. And then that's where we're gonna pick it up in verse 16. It says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So now what, Jesus? You're back. This is awesome. Now what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? And Jesus says, here's your marching orders. Here's, here's what I'm gonna tell you to do. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. That's what he tells them to do. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Go and make, those are action words. Those are not suggestion words, suggestions. Those are commands. Go and do it. Like get your butt out of your chair and go do it. Not right now, but after this, all right? Uh, he says, and do what? Make disciples. Make disciples. What is a disciple? I think that's a very familiar churchy word. Right, We talk about it all the time. I'm pretty sure I've used it at least 10 times already in this talk alone. You can go back and fact check me. Um, but, but we use it all the time. But do we really know what it means? Do we really understand what it means? If you're newer to Christianity, you may have heard of this word, but may not be familiar with it at all, really, what it actually means. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, and it would be weird to admit that you know a lot of who the disciples were, like, you know, people like Peter, James, John, maybe, you know, even old Barty, Bartholomew, right? But, you, but do you know what a disciple is and what made them a disciple? And then once we know what a disciple is, well, then 
how do we go and make them like Jesus commanded us to do? So what is a disciple? The word disciple in the Greek language, which is what, the, what the, the, this Matthew was originally written in, uh, is the word mathetes. And it, and it is translated to mean pupil or apprentice, student or learner. A disciple is a learner, is a person who learns. Part of being human is our ability to learn things, that we don't, we don't just have everything by natural instinct, right? We don't just, we learn things by watching and observing and listening to those around us and learning what they do and then doing it and following them. Our ability to learn to tie our shoes or play a sport or an instrument or even learn language comes primarily from learning from others and watching what they do, right? Think about little infants, right? We learn the language when we're young that is spoken around us as we watch and listen to the people around us. Uh, wouldn't it be weird if, if we like came pre-programmed with different languages, right? If, you had a, if your baby was born and you looked on the bottom of their foot and on the bottom it had a little tag that said language, Swahili. Oh, I guess we're moving to Africa, honey. We gotta, like, I don't know, we gotta raise this kid somewhere else because, I mean, but we, we're, it's not like that, right? We are learners. We, most of what we know is, is learned over time. And that's what it means to be a disciple, that we learn from those around us. And it's not just that we learn when we're young and when we're in school. We're meant to be lifelong learners. And, and I think that when we stop learning, we stop living. That's part of who we are. We're always meant to be learning and growing. That's how God designed us. And this is just my opinion, but I think we're meant to be eternal learners. I don't think we're gonna get to heaven and all of a sudden know and understand everything. I think we're gonna get to heaven and Jesus is gonna say, all right, let's continue on this journey. You get to be my disciple for eternity. I'm gonna continue to teach you things and show you things and learn, and you're gonna learn new things forever. We're forever gonna be his students. And being a disciple of his, of Jesus, it changes who we are. It changes who we are. We start to become like him. The apprentice becomes like the master. Sounds like Star Wars or something like that. Uh, But in Luke, Luke 6, Luke chapter six, there's a large crowd gathered around Jesus and he challenges them to be careful about this, to be careful because he says, you become like the one that you follow. Luke 6, 39 through 40, he says this, he, Jesus also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they both not fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher that we become like the ones we follow. And that can be a really, really good thing, or that can be a really dangerous thing. Think about that. Joseph Goebbels, if you wanna throw this picture of him, he was the perfect disciple, perfect disciple. Smart, quick learner, loved, loved, loved his teacher. He did everything his teacher told him to do. He was fully committed, like no matter the cost. He believed in him wholeheartedly. And when others walked away from him, Joseph stayed by his side. When others walked away from the teacher, Joseph stayed by his side and essentially said, where else would I go but follow you? Does that sound familiar to anybody? 
If you know the story of Peter and Jesus, Peter said something very similar to Jesus. Only problem with Joseph was who he was following. See, his beloved teacher and leader and savior was Adolf Hitler. Joseph Goebbels was Adolf Hitler's right-hand man. He did just unimaginable atrocities and committed unimaginable terrible things following his leader, you know, leading up to and throughout World War II and the Holocaust. And in the last days of Hitler's life, Joseph was by his side hiding in in his bunker. And when Hitler took his own life, in his will, Joseph became the new reigning chancellor of Germany. The student literally became like the teacher. And for one day, Joseph was the, was the chancellor of Germany until he too followed in Hitler's footsteps and ended, ended his own life too in his, the life of his wife and his six kids. Just absolutely terrible. Now, of course, this is an extreme example, right? Uh, but Jesus says, be careful who you follow. Be careful who you follow because you will become like them. It makes us think again about who are the people in our lives, our friends, our peers, our school teachers, our our bosses, the people that we look up to and want to emulate, even people on social media that we we look up to and want to be like. He says, that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's lots of great people to look up to and to follow. He says, but just pay attention. Be thinking about it. Be careful who you want to emulate because you will become like them. That's the natural result. That's the natural result. And if you're a Christian, which I know the majority of you are, then the primary person, of course, that we're supposed to learn from and follow is Jesus. And that is the definition of being a Christian, right? That we are following Christ, that we are his students, his apprentices, his his pupils. But what does a disciple of Jesus really look like? See, I think the problem is, is that we don't always actually know exactly what that entails, or what that means, or I think that sometimes we make assumptions that we are following him to the level that we could be following him and that we're making other disciples and walking along other side people and encouraging them to follow him to the level that we could be, but I don't know that we always are. I don't know that we always are. We live in a time and in a culture where I think that we are deficient in Christian discipleship. We're deficient in it. We, we know how to make Jesus look attractive. We know how to draw a crowd on Sunday mornings. We know how to present good sermons about him or, or, or sing really great worship songs about him. But do we really know what it means to follow him? And then also, what does it mean to walk alongside others and encourage them to follow them or to follow him and helping them grow as disciples? As a culture, I think we've, we've fallen for a watered down version, I think of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We've made, it, we've made it simply about more information and good behavior. But being a disciple is more than information and it's deeper than good behavior or behavior modification. You know, for those of you who know me well, I'm kind of a certified nerd. Um, <laughs> I love to learn facts. I get excited when I'm reading something and, or watching something new and get new info and kind of geek out a little bit. But I, I can run the danger sometimes of falsely equating learning about Jesus as being the same thing as learning with Jesus. 
that learning about Jesus is informational, but learning with Jesus is transformational. Again, we are called to be his apprentices, to, to follow him, to learn alongside him so we become like him. And we can see this difference when we look at the first disciples and compare somebody like Peter, who wasn't perfect, who didn't do everything right, but comparing him to Judas, Judas Iscariot. And we can see in one's experience was that one, one of them, it was transformational, but one of them was just informational. A few chapters before Matthew 28, uh, and when, when we just talked about where Jesus says, go and make disciples. In Matthew 26, when Jesus is about to die on the cross, he's having one last meal with his, his friends, his disciples, and he tells them this news that one of them is going to betray him. And the disciples, well, at least 11 of the 12 disciples are confounded by this. They're shocked. And they all basically go around the circle and say the same thing. They say this, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Surely you don't mean me. And they go around the circle and they say that, and then they come to Judas. And Judas says almost the same thing, but it's slightly different. It's slightly different. He says this, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. See the difference? The rest of them called Jesus Lord, but Judas called him rabbi, which means teacher. See, Judas, along with the other 11, had heard every sermon Jesus gave. He watched him confront the religious leaders. He witnessed him heal the blind and the mute and the sick and the lame and cast those with demons free. He watched and had all the information that all the other disciples had. And yet, and yet it was, it was just informational. It hadn't yet transformed him. He really wasn't a true disciple because he only saw Jesus as teacher. He did not see, he hadn't yet made the jump to him being Lord, to him being God. It was, it has to be more than just head knowledge, right? More than just information. It has to change us in here, right? When we say to, to God, help me believe not just in here, but help it travel, that information travel down here to be transformational in here. You know, that's when we begin to change. That's when we begin to look more like him. That's when we don't just know about the things Jesus knows about. We, we actually care about those things as well, right? Instead of just know about them. It's, it's where we begin to, re, to respond to situations in the way Jesus responds to them, not just know how Jesus would have responded to them. We actually begin to do it like him. You know, it might start off informational, but it has, to, it has to be more than that eventually. It has to lead to transformation. And so the question is, are we seeing the fruit of change in our lives and in the lives of other Christians around us, right? The, the people that we're trying to encourage and walk alongside. It has to be more than just knowledge. It has to, it has to change us. And it has to be more than just good behavior, and behavior modification, right? We can fall into the trap of thinking that if it, then it's just all about living better, right? Let's just help, let's just, we're gonna, let, to make disciples, let's just help people start living better, making better choices, right? Being better people, being kinder to their classmates in school or being more generous to charities or being kinder, to, help, more helpful to their neighbors, right? Different things like that. Is that what it means to, to make more disciples? To just make people behave better? 
it sounds good, right? That sounds good. And it makes sense on the outside. But the problem is Jesus rarely worried about what was happening on the outside. He was always concerned about what was happening on the inside, what was happening on the inside in the heart. There's another story that many of you I know probably are familiar with in the Bible, known as the story of the young rich ruler, where this young Jewish man who had status and power and wealth and influence comes to Jesus and says to him, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question, right? Great question. And Jesus and this young man have an interesting dialogue back and forth. Jesus starts off by saying, hey, well, let me just start off by saying this. Why do you, why do you call me good? Because only God is good. So are you, are you acknowledging that I'm God? Are you making that jump? And the guy didn't get it. He didn't get it. And, and so Jesus gives him this initial kind of cheap answer. He says, you know what? Uh, just go follow the 10 commandments that you already know. That's what you wanted to hear, isn't it? That's what you wanted to know. You just wanted to know the minimum of what you were invited into, right? Just, just go follow the 10 commandments. And the guy says, well, I've been doing that my whole life. Is that, is that what it takes to, to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus essentially says, do you want to know the real answer? Do you really want to know? He says, go sell everything you have and come follow me. Come be my true disciple. And the man, if you know the story, the man, he doesn't do it. He can't do it. He leaves sad. He leaves sad and, he, and he, doesn't, he doesn't follow Jesus in that way. What Jesus is getting at and getting to the core with this particular guy is that Jesus knew that in this, heart, in this man's heart that he valued money and stuff more than God, that he found his security, his peace, his stability, and his wealth, and that he just wanted to know on the outside what he had to do you know, to inherit eternal life, but really was unwilling to let Jesus go deep into the inside. And Jesus isn't asking us all to go sell everything that we have. That was this guy's hangup. But, but he does ask us to give up things. To, 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 he asks us, what's the one thing that is keeping you from being all in with me? Maybe it is your financial security, but it could be a number of things. It could be the, your need to be in control. It could be your status. It could be your need to be needed by other people, to need aff constant affirmation. It could be lots and lots of different things. But when Jesus asks all of us, are we willing to give up the one thing that is holding us up from truly trusting in him and following him and saying yes to him? And we do that and we say, but help me, Jesus. Yes, I wanna do that, but help me do that because that's hard to do, right? To make disciples to make disciples, we have to be willing to not only do that ourselves, but to, to walk along and encourage other people to do that as well. To walk alongside others and ask them to consider these kinds of same questions. We have to go deeper with people than just being satisfied with, oh yeah, Jim. Jim seems like a really nice guy. He seems to make good life choices, like nice, nice neighbor, whoever Jim is. You know, and I've had a couple conversations. He seems to know at least a little bit about Jesus. He must, he must be good. He must be a, a disciple, but is he? I don't know. How is he really doing with the Lord? Is he really, really walking with Jesus? Is there actual transformation in his life? Is he regularly responding to the nudges of God, right? Jesus says we can get really good 
at, at, at cleaning the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup can be filthy. And we can get really good at playing the Christian game, right? But Jesus lovingly, lovingly sees through all that and cuts to the heart and says, hey, will you let me in? Will you trust me? True disciples never stop letting Jesus in and take a look around and kind of move the furniture around in our heart and rearrange things. And when we do that, when we trust him, then it becomes more than just information, right? And more than just good outside behavior. There are two things that we can do, two ways that we can really grow in being his disciples. And they're really pretty simple. If you're like thinking, hey, I'm gonna learn something brand new. Some of you might be disappointed by this because it has to be really simple because we all have to be able to do it. We all have to be able to do it. And they're this, one, we spend time with Jesus and two, we spend time with his disciples. We spend authentic time with Jesus talking with him regularly, praying with him regularly, asking him things regularly, where, where we open up our lives to, to, to respond to those little questions, those little prompts, those little teachable moments from him. When we go to the Bible and we read it, that we don't just read it for information, right? We, we read it to, to, for him to speak to us through it, right? And, when we, and then in turn, we'll, we'll become more hungry to learn more information, but that will come out of our intimacy with him and our relationship with him. And we'll want to, to behave in a, in a way that's honoring to him, but it'll come out of that relationship with him, out of that intimacy and time spent with him. So we spend time with him. And then second, we spend time with his disciples, like real authentic time with each other. You know, he uses other people in our lives who are also learning to be his disciples, to encourage us and support us and to gently challenge us and question us, right? He often speaks through them and these other people. You know, if we don't have those kinds of people in our life, then we're missing out. We're missing out on, on growing in the way and being transformed in the way that I think God wants us to be transformed in. And we need to have people like that in our lives that we can speak into, that we can go deeper with, not just superficial conversations about sports and weather and all that kind of stuff, right? If the worship team wants to start to make their way back up here, I'll, I'll kind of wrap up with this. So now what? So now what? As we kick off this new series, as we're coming off of Easter, in light of what Jesus did for us, dying for our sins, defeating death and, and resurrecting, and he says, I'm going back to heaven and I have a job for you guys to do. Here it is, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. You know, he says, go and do it. Again, more than just a suggestion, it's a command. It's something that we're called to do. And it, and it means that we're meant to build relationships with people that go deeper, that go really deep, to invite them not only into relationship with Jesus to start, right? But then to walk alongside them in that relationship. See, Jesus didn't say go and make converts, right? Did he? He said, go and make disciples, people who will truly follow him. And, and that's what we're invited to do, to do, is to walk alongside people and do that. And we do that by being vulnerable with other people and modeling it for them and sharing what's really going on in our lives. To, to, to say, well, this is what God's been doing in my life lately. What's he been doing in your life? 
What is he challenging you in? What is he trying to encourage you in and supporting you in? And when we do that, we really get to see God move in people and them grow as disciples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. He said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. It's a non-negotiable. Like if we're gonna be Christians, if we're gonna follow Jesus, it means we have to be discipling people. So, so again, which I know the majority of you here would identify as Christians. If that's you, who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? We are disciples called to make disciples. Who are you doing with that with? Your kids, your spouse, your friends, a brother, sister, mother, father, coworker, teammate, classmate. Who, who are you going deeper with? And if you don't have anybody that comes to mind, then pray about that. Ask God to show you, hey, who is he putting in your life that he wants you to dive deeper in with to encourage and to challenge and to ask some of those tough questions sometimes? It takes time and intentionality and there's no cookie cutter way of doing it. It's just being relational over a long period of time with people. And you don't have to be a super Christian to do it. You can just be right where you're at. You can be a brand new Christian and say, hey, why don't we do this together? Why don't we figure this out together? Let me ask, how are you doing? And you ask me how I'm doing in following God, where we grow in being his students and being his apprentices and his disciples and begin to look more and more like him. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand up? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.